0: Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Gudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice, and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari. Very excited to have you with us here this week. We have an awesome episode lined up for you. We're sitting down today with Ajama Kola, a PhD student who's on the verge of getting her degree from Columbia University and also the influencer behind lifestyle platform, Ijama We're going to talk to Ajama about a variety of things ranging from the evolution of her platform to how she handles getting her degree while trying to build her business to what it's like having a husband who's on the exact opposite end of the social media spectrum from her. So all of that and more. But first, a quick plug from us here at Trove. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please leave us that five-star rating and give us a glowing review. We always appreciate it. With that out of the way, and without any further ado, let's get to our conversation with Ajama. Ajama, thanks so much for joining us on Influencer Business.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So let's first talk about how your platform started, right? Because it used to be Classy Kinks. Yes. Yes. It's so like, talk to us a little bit about weird that. Weird
1: to hear that because yeah. it feels so old. Um, yeah. But yeah, I started blogging kind of accidentally when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um I went to Harvard for undergrad, and mm-hmm. although there was a pretty sizable black community, at least a larger community than I was used to from my high school that I sure. went to, there still weren't a lot of women on campus who had natural hair. And so I had decided in my sophomore year that I was going to try out the natural hair thing. Mm-hmm. I had had my hair chemically straightened um, for my whole life up until then. Um, It was kind of expensive to maintain. So I figured, like, let's try this natural thing out. And because there was no one on campus to talk to, except for one girl, but I didn't really know her, so I couldn't really talk to her. (laughs) So there's no one really, that I felt comfortable talking to on campus. Mm -hmm. So um, I started watching YouTube videos. And I think the height of YouTube back then, it was very informal, no production. It was just like, sit, talk, twist. Let me talk about (laughs) this product. Um. And I found a community there and started making videos not necessarily to do tutorials or anything, but Mm -hmm. really just to participate in this online space. Oh, interesting, okay. Um, And then after making videos for a while, like my first video was like about my big chop and then I talked about how my first, I got my hair straightened for the first time after cutting it and Uh what that felt like and just kind of random things filmed on my MacBook, like webcam. (laughs) Like no production, no camera, no nothing. Like shot at like 2 a.m. when I should have been doing homework. (laughs) Um, Um... <laughs> About like a year later, by my senior year of college, you know, a couple of other like younger people started going natural, and then mm-hmm. a couple of people kind of like found out that I was on YouTube and started asking me questions, and then oh, that's kind of when like it's- on
0: campus in person, yeah.
1: And okay. I even had like a salon on campus where I was doing. I know it's like really? funny because I-, I didn't really know what I was doing, but that's people amazing. trusted me Nobody enough to knows. do their hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had like a little salon business, um, and as I was wait, talking- was
0: it was it in your dorm? It was in my dorm. Oh, yeah. It was like course. in our common room. Like every good business, does, I washed right? people's
1: hair in this bathroom sink. It was great. But I also had Netflix. So there was entertainment. Wow. It was kind of like high, like high tech. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> It was sure. a great salon. Um, but people started asking me for advice about hair. And I think uh-huh. that's when I kind of pivoted from just creating content for myself to creating content for other people. Sure. And I was still on YouTube. Um, I, the name Classy Kinks actually came, this guy I was talking to, like back in the day, yeah, back in the day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he is no longer around. He, yeah, he does no longer exist.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, he just said classy because I was like cool and elegant and yeah. kinks because that's, you know, kinky hair was the kind of hair that I had and the kind sure. of hair that I was very um, vocal about advocating for, like horsey sure. tightly textured hair.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: am not the creative type, so I was like, sure, that's a cool name. I take that. Thank you <laughs> and for that this became, contribution yeah, to that my life. Yeah, that became my brand name. So I was yeah. grateful to him at the time for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's how I became Classy Kinks and kind of had that persona. I don't think I really like hid my name. I was never like, yeah. you know, there are some people online, you don't know their real name. Like right. I was never really like that. But Classy Kinks worked at the time because I was a natural hair blogger mm-hmm. um, and kind of grew in the blogging space um, sure. in that niche. Yeah. And at the time, it was a perfect time to be a natural hair blogger because no one really knew what was going on. Yeah. There were so many different products coming out. Like every sure. week, there was like a new natural hair product oh, to wow. try out. So there was always content.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, So I did the natural hair vlogging thing for about, um, five or so years before I kind of got tired of it for more than one reason. I mean, okay. One was that um, I had started grad school, so I immediately sure. started my PhD after mm-hmm. college yeah. and just couldn't keep up with YouTube. Yeah. Um, sure. YouTube production had gotten really serious. People had yep. bought cameras. Mm-hmm. I was still, I had bought a camera now, but I was still using iMovie to edit. People had yeah. already moved on to Final Cut Pro and I was like, guys, I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down. Yeah, <laughs> so I felt like things were moving up like, really fast and I was like trying to like do you my own work. You were in homework. a relationship
0: with YouTube that you were not ready for. I was
1: not Ready. Um, I was in too many relationships at the same time. I was yeah. in a relationship with YouTube. I was in a relationship with Columbia, and no one was cutting me any slack. So um, I actually then decided to start a blog because I okay. found it easier. So and-
0: until that point, you didn't actually have a blog.
2: No, you just up had until YouTube from channel. 2010
1: to 2013, mm-hmm. I was only on YouTube, oh, and wow. I had. A, I think I started. I joined Instagram in 2012. Okay, um, that was my. My gift to myself for finishing my undergraduate thesis, I was <laughs> wow. like, now I can join social media. <laughs> um, but I wasn't mean. I wasn't posting like for real. I was right. just posting yeah. terrible photos <laughs> of like my cousins and yeah.
2: food, yeah. just like
1: the worst photos <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, after my first year of graduate school, that's when I started my blog, and I also named the blog Classy Kings. and it was mm-hmm. strictly a natural hair blog. Okay. Um, product reviews, tutorials. A lot mm-hmm. of content was like repurposed from YouTube okay. to the blog. Um, sure. But also wrote like a couple of like op ed pieces about discrimination in the workplace, about natural hair. Okay, or yeah. you know, there have been stories over the and it still happens today, like little kids in school getting bullied for their hair or getting yeah. sent home from school because mm-hmm. their hair's in braids or something. Sure. So I kind of talked about those kinds of topics. Yeah. Um, and at one point even hired like a couple of writers and oh, had like wow. a little staff team. Yeah, yeah sure. And that was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I grew out of it.
0: So. You grew out of it? What
2: do you mean you grew out of it?
1: <laughs> um, well, two things happened. I think one, I got tired of doing my hair. Um, oh, okay. And I think something that yeah. don't, people don't often realize about, I think hair bloggers specifically versus other beauty bloggers or mm-hmm. fashion bloggers sure. is the more you manipulate your hair, like if you brush your hair like every five yeah. seconds, like your hair's going to start falling out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had colored my hair a lot. Um, yeah. I had been doing a lot of styling to it. Interesting. And it started just... Like rebelling, so there's a
0: natural <laughs> limit to there, how much content is. you can for actually produce. People, for yeah. some people, for some
1: people, so I reached a point where I felt like I was like putting my hair in jeopardy by sure. doing so much to it. Yeah, um, and then also felt like I had done all that there was to do. Like I had yeah. done
2: mm-hmm.
1: seven hundred twist outs by then. Was, <laughs> there wasn't a new twist out that I could do. Um, right. So that was one thing that like, I kind of got tired of sure. doing my hair. Mm-hmm. Um, a second thing. This is sort of related, but um, when I realized that there was like a world of blogging outside of natural hair space and I started following other bloggers, um, I just realized I had other interests. So I really like clothes. I like Mm -hmm. beauty. um, I like talking about education um, and entrepreneurship. And so I didn't want to limit myself to just talking about natural hair. And Mm -hmm. when I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily experimented with talking about other topics. I just, because I wasn't taking my Instagram like seriously as a business, I would just post about whatever. Sure. So if beauty was on my mind, I would talk about it. And if yeah. fashion was on my mind, I would talk about it. And yeah. luckily, like, my audience responded really well to that. So when I mm-hmm. realized that people kind of came to me not necessarily just for hair advice specifically, but just because they were curious about what was going on in my life, you. in my world, yeah. then I felt a little bit liberated to, Interesting. like, like break out of the hair-only okay. um, sphere. Yeah. And the third thing that really um, catapulted my <laughs> move away <laughs> from the natural hair space yeah. was... I just realized there was so much more money outside. Yeah. It. It's, like, <laughs> it's kind of like a vain reason, but... It's not
0: a vain reason, it's a business... It's a practical to, reason. Yeah, it's a, I mean, you're um, trying to grow your business. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of
1: natural hair companies, they're more now with like the big, big brands now all have yeah. natural hairlines. Mm-hmm. But in 2015, you know, yeah. there were maybe Shea Moisture and Kyle's daughter were super big, but a lot of these other companies were still like really much growing sure. and just did not have budget for me to spend 12 yeah. hours twisting <laughs> <laughs> washing and deep conditioning and the twisting ROI my hair. wasn't there for that. Yeah. <laughs> it was not. Yeah. Um, and there was one time I had signed up for a campaign and like as I was in the middle of twisting my hair, I was like, I cannot. <laughs> I just cannot <laughs> do this. It's not worth the money. Like yeah. I cannot do yeah. another thing to my hair. So, Interesting. So
0: in 2015, you shifted to a more lifestyle platform is that yeah i would say more like 2016
1: 2016 yeah i think i shifted more that's why i shifted more to a lifestyle Mm -hmm. um again i at the time i don't think i necessarily thought it was lifestyle yeah um what did you
0: think it was at the time
1: I don't, I don't really define it.
0: No, you were just like, I'm going to start posting about more stuff. I was just stuff. like, I'm
1: going to talk about whatever I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to mm-hmm. talk about whatever's going on in my life. But I also the- started talking about school a lot more. Yeah, Um, yeah. And that was lib- also liberating because not that I hid the fact that I was a student from my Blog audience, but I don't, my faculty members didn't really know that I blogged or my classmates at school didn't really know I blogged. Mm -hmm. Um, But once I kind of told everyone, hey, here's, these are the two things that I do. (laughs) Um, It was much easier to integrate them um, more naturally. Got it.
0: But the name Classy Kinks stuck until when?
1: The name Classy Kinks stuck, I would say, the beginning of, maybe the end of 2016. Okay. I was, like would we'll start cringing anytime. <laughs> so I'd be like, are you Classic Kings? I'm like, that's the dumbest name ever. <laughs> <laughs> Classy was spelled with a K, and yep. it, like the alliteration oh, was cute at the time. But yeah, no, I, was like, I cannot have a whole PhD and be spelling words incorrectly.
0: <laughs> like that is. I think that is a great juxtaposition. What my parents came yes, to this I'm, country for? <laughs> I'm, I'm busy getting my PhD, but I also run this this platform called Classy Kings. Oh my classy spelled with a K. Yeah, it no, was just I mean,
1: like cringe worthy. <laughs> no, but it was
0: very much in line with the time. Right? It was. Like, it cutesy. Name cute at the was time. very much yeah. in. And, you know, but you, like you said, you grew out of it.
1: I did. And I also, I think at the same time, a lot of people kind of grew out of their initial blog names. And I've noticed a lot of people in the past two years have started using their actual names and like branding themselves as their actual name. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I had the same revelation that other people did. Did
0: you think about doing something other than your name?
1: I did not only because I honestly could not think of anything else. I thought I <laughs> like sat down and had a brainstorming you're not a session. Person. I'm not. I tried to come up, I was I tried and I, I just, think there are a
0: lot of people out there who probably would beg to differ.
1: But I could not come up with anything cool. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, it's gonna be my name. And I was also getting married, so right. I, I knew it was and I knew I was gonna change my name, although that mm-hmm. was like a whole nother conversation. But yeah. it was about six months before getting married that I knew I was like over Classy King, so I was kinda yeah. like biting my time to yeah. the wedding <laughs> and then after the wedding Bridging changed the my Instagram name first.
2: Okay. Um
1: to Ijama Cola, and mm-hmm. then it actually took another year before I changed my website mm-hmm. um to Ijama Cola. Got it. And have been so much happier since.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, I'm actually I actually went to business school with Ijama's husband, Jonathan, and that's how we first met. Yes. Um, but you and my wife had known each other from the blogging world or seen each other on Instagram or whatever. So it was kind of this interesting kind of Worlds colliding if you Yeah. Will.
1: I don't know if she knew me, but I definitely knew her and I remember when we
0: Oh she definitely did. We met yeah. each other
1: at this Hamptons party that yeah. I dragged Jonathan to <laughs> that he didn't even <laughs> want to go to and we got there, I knew no one. Yeah, and yeah. he was like, Hey and I was like, how do you know these people? Yeah. <laughs> like and so, they're like Instagram royalty. Like how do you know that?
0: <laughs> well we had just moved back to New York from San Francisco at yeah. that point. Yeah. It was a
1: super cool. Colliding yeah. of worlds.
0: Well, speaking, I want to jump into a few things, but since we're on the topic of Jonathan, what yes. is it like to ha- to be married to somebody who's at the very opposite end of the social media spectrum yeah. that you are? Jonathan, I mean, he had his first post this past weekend.
1: Yeah, so he posted on Instagram stories this past weekend for the first time. Um, it took him 15 minutes to craft <laughs> one Instagram story. But he cared
0: a lot. He did he care really a lot. He really did. It was yeah. really
1: precious to see him like put effort into it. But he had to be coached on how to write a caption and how yeah, to tag people. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, he also just joined Instagram in October. and He only wow. joined because he had told me years ago when I told him that he should join Instagram that he would be my 50,000th follower.
0: Oh, really? And he
1: on when, the day I was like at 49.99 something. That's amazing. He was like refreshing. That's really and cool. And sent me a screenshot when yeah, he yeah, became yeah. my fifty thousand follower. Um, That's cool. But he is otherwise like anti-social media. Mm-hmm. and.
0: But you've gotten him, you've been able to get him to do a few things.
1: I can get him to do campaigns. If, yeah. He's needed. Uh-huh. And I can also get him to take my pictures if also needed. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I prefer. I respect him. Are there bribes
0: involved? Is there like there promises of food? There are of lots like, of
1: bribes. There's yeah. a lot of food. Yeah, um, I was going to say usually. Campaigns where he gets something out of, like okay. he did one with DSW and he got a pair of sneakers. Oh, okay, he, sneakers. Nice. he was like very easy. Sure. that was an easy sell.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and even after that, he was like, "Oh, do you have any more like clothes coming up?" I'm like, "You can also just post." It's and really funny because he's your very own tech influencer. literate because he's yeah, an engineer. He's a tech guy. And he works at Google. Like, <laughs> and I don't know if maybe that's the reason he just like uh, okay. is too, like, too looks at screens and code too much. He just <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. need to think about the algorithm. Right. Maybe that's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. but I think in some ways, some sometimes it's frustrating. I was, I was saying this earlier sure, because yeah. you look at all these like Instagram couples who are yeah. traveling and they just like look so cool and yeah. they, uh, it's aspirational in some way. Yeah. And I'm like, that could be us. But he's, <laughs> he's just not. No, not into <laughs> if it. If we travel and I'm like, let's take this cute picture. He's like, no. Like, yeah. I am here for vacation and not to be on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it's really good to not have someone who cares about yeah. Instagram because the times that I get in oh, my own yeah, head, yeah, he's yeah. just like, it's interesting. Just close the app. There are
0: pluses and minuses to <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, because we, were, uh, we just had on Brock and Chris from Yummer Time, and they're in it all the time. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that they don't have, you know, a partner who comes mm-hmm. home at five or six o'clock and says, hey, I'm done with work. It's time to right. have, like, they're always in it. You have that yeah. with Jonathan. It's like, I'm not involved in this. And he gives you some normalcy, I would say. Right, especially definitely. Especially yeah. in the throes of what we're going to talk about next Getting your PhD because yeah. I could imagine during that process you feel like you're torn between two worlds and always working. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the PhD program at Columbia.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I am very, very close to being finished with. Well, you uh, just
0: walked this weekend yeah, in, convocation. I just walked in
1: convocation. Yeah, congratulations! Um, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm going to be distributing my dissertation to my committee tomorrow, and then in a few weeks, hopefully defend and. Yeah. Close this chapter and move on with my life. Um, but my PhD is in socio-medical sciences, mm-hmm. which means nothing to most people. But <laughs>
0: yeah, tell but tell I, us what what the actual paper is about. Right, so, this is a fascinating. Topic. Yeah, so
1: I, my department or my program is the history and ethics of public health. Mm-hmm. So I am studying the rise of asthma in mm-hmm. Black urban America. Yeah. So I'm looking at how the asthma epidemic, as I see it, has kind of like grown in Black urban spaces in Harlem and Chicago mm-hmm. and New Orleans, Los Angeles. Over the course of the 20th century, yeah. and the different medical and social and demographic changes that I think have contributed to that rise.
0: Sure. And how did you choose that topic?
1: Um, it was kind of like by accident. So when uh-huh. I was in college, as I've been working on this since my college undergraduate thesis. Really? And
0: wow. Mm. Yeah,
1: partly just because I had reached a point where I was like, I can't change it now. I'm in too deep. <laughs> I'm, in too deep. <laughs> I'm
2: in
1: too deep. At one point, someone, a good amount of people said that I should write my dissertation about natural hair movement or something because I was so like deep sure. in it. But I was yeah. like, guys, I can't change. Like, I It would add another three years and I just yeah. can't. Um, but when I was in college, I came across this article about These childhood asthma treatment centers in Uh like Denver and Phoenix, where kids would be sent off for two years to go live like without their parents. And they'd be like magic, not magically, but they'd be cured from asthma.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And I thought it was, I mean, I just thought that was weird, but also noticed like one or two like black kids in the Mm -hmm. photos from these. um, Out of how many? like 300. Oh, wow. Yeah, very few. Okay. I mean, yeah. eventually it grew. The, yeah. the black representation at these clinics definitely grew, but mm-hmm. in the like early 50s, there was very few uh-huh. um black kids. So mm-hmm. that kind of sparked my interest. Um then and, another and thing from from mm-hmm.
0: were you thinking at that point? Did you see the evolution and see more and say, "Okay, this is now increasing in the black community," or did you say they weren't getting a chance to be treated in the same way?
1: Right. So I think after I I, mean, I, can't, I can't remember exactly like the order of Sure, sure.
2: What Mm -hmm. knowledge came came into my purview? But um,
1: I know that it was first I saw the childhood asthma treatment centers, and Mm -hmm. then at some point um, I read this article. I think as I was like researching the history of asthma in general, I read this article from 1891 that said. Um, that a doctor said that black people could not have asthma, that it was impossible in the Negro race. Like, that's the quote. And I was oh, like, Jesus. but what? <laughs> like, how? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, and my training in undergrad was very much around, like, the social construction of mm-hmm. health and kind of, like, how, although we view doctors as very objective and scientific, yep. like, they mm-hmm. are people. And depending yeah. on their social and cultural setting, of course, yeah, that, like, imbues itself into 100%. medicine, into science. No question. Um, so I became Unf- really it, interested. When it shouldn't, right? When it shouldn't because that's what inevitable. science is, It's right? inevitable. It's inevitable, right. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, I think that's what we perceive science to be, as yeah. a truthful, factual, objective yeah. thing, and it's really not. It's a, no. <laughs> um, So, shocker.
0: <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, and you might be able to tell that now with different scientific debates that are currently happening, um, things that we thought were kind of like a sure thing, or people are now questioning, seriously. Yeah, but, well,
0: not only that, but there you, there's so many different ways that you can... Read a report, right? You can you know ignore certain pieces of data. You can really highlight certain pieces. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can skew something. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I just became really um, interested with this division, really between, or this the juxtaposition between asthma isn't possible in a group of people to the knowledge I had at that time, which is that asthma affects African-Americans three to four times more than it affects white Americans. Um, mm-hmm. So that didn't make sense to me. Like how over was the course- that a,
0: Was that a stat of today when you first read was, that article? It was a stat or or
1: from 2009. Right, okay. And then the it's current, still, yeah. like, okay. It, yeah, it still holds today. Sure, yeah. um, So it, I was just curious as to how in the course of 100 years, mm-hmm. a disease could go from impossible to more prevalent in a specific population. Yeah and then set out to write Mm -hmm. that story. And you
0: traveled all over to kind of do research, primary research. Yeah. And so where where would you go?
1: Yeah, so luckily a lot of research is actually able to be done online. Like, Mm -hmm. thank Uh, God for the digital age. right, right. (laughs) But I did go to Denver. Um, So one of the childhood asthma treatment centers that features prominently in my dissertation is in Denver. Mm -hmm. So I was out there for a while doing research there. Mm -hmm. Um, I also went to Chicago. I went Mm -hmm. to New Orleans. Yeah. Um, It was kind of cool because every time I would travel... Somewhere I, like, tried to incorporate some, like, influencer things. Yeah. So last year I was in New Orleans for Essence Festival and then mm-hmm. extended my trip a little bit oh, cool! Pop into the archives. Yeah, so talk <laughs> so. to us
0: a little bit about balancing the two because obviously PhDs are incredibly difficult. Yeah. And the, when you started, were you taking classes, teaching, mm-hmm. TAing, all of that? How did you balance the blog mm-hmm. and the PhD at, at the various stages mm-hmm. during the PhD program? Yeah,
1: so I think luckily the PhD in my time constraints evolved In a way that, like, allowed naturally allowed my business to grow. Okay. Um, So, the first two years of the PhD is intense coursework, like four to five classes a semester.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I also needed funding. So, I was a research assistant doing like 20 hours a week for doing someone else's research. (laughs) So, during that time, that's when my time was like really constrained. And that's when I realized I couldn't keep up with YouTube. So, then I decided to start writing. By funding,
0: you mean. You needed to pay the rent.
1: I yes, yeah. yeah this is this is before a dual income household. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I needed to pay rent. I needed yeah. tuition, and yeah. I think something. This is like for anyone interested in school. Although most PhDs um, are funded or yeah. fully funded or should mm-hmm. be fully funded or at least offer you maybe five years of funding. You, that's not, it comes with a stipulation. Like yeah. you have to teach, you have to yeah, be right. a research assistant. Right. Um, I don't think I really knew that coming in. I was, <laughs> so I was like, oh wait, I have to work and go to class? Like what? <laughs> um, so my time the first couple of years was extremely limited. Yeah. But I think by the second year, the yeah, first year I was kind of like, I didn't really produce any content. That's, okay. I wasn't active on YouTube really. Mm-hmm. And then... Second year going in, I said, "Okay, like let's try a blog. It's faster for me to write, so I can write on do like three posts on the weekend and just like schedule them out throughout the week." And I hired a couple people. Probably a
0: different type of writing than you're doing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, (laughs) it
1: was super (laughs) quick. Getting a blog (laughs) post up. Like I can write. My mom always jokes with me because whenever I say like, "Oh, I have ten thousand words to write in this chapter," she's like, "You can do that in two days." I'm like. (laughs) It's not a blog post. Right. <laughs> it's like totally different writing. Right, right. Um. So the, yeah, the second year allowed me to blog. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, that's when I fit in blogging. Sure. Um, luckily, yeah. but my... Th-
2: <laughs> that's a,
0: yeah, right. Yeah, it allowed way, yeah. you to blog. Yeah, you had like five <laughs> made, hours yeah. on top of the 20 hours. I you made the
1: time. I made the time. <laughs> right, I also yeah. was in a place in life where I was super young in the city, lived yeah. with roommates. I think I also, Jonathan and I were in a long distance relationship then. Yeah. and. That really helped give me the flexibility. I yeah. wasn't worrying about him or anyone else. So, <laughs> I really could just like be home on Friday nights, right, like, yeah. on like writing and right, not yeah. trying to like kick it elsewhere. Yeah, right, yeah. So that definitely helped. Um, Relieved a little of FOMO. It did. Yeah, it did. Sure. Especially with our time difference. I was yeah. yeah. Would talk to him at strange hours anyway, so that oh, didn't yeah. really matter. Mm-hmm. Then my my third year, I luckily got uh, an outside fellowship from the oh, National okay. Science Foundation. Nice. Um, and the great benefit of that one, it was for three years. So. Okay. I didn't have to worry about funding for a while. But most importantly, I didn't have to work for anyone. So oh, nice. I had now finished my coursework mm-hmm. and I had kind of like no obligations <laughs> to the school, which the was doors great. doors open. I know. It was like so <laughs> much freedom, so much time. Yeah. Um, and that's when I was really able to okay. like push out a lot of content. That's mm-hmm. when I had the time and space to think about yeah. what I wanted my blog to look like. Sure. That's when I was able to expand to lifestyle. Yeah. Um, the setback was that I had little oversight and so really did nothing (laughs) with my PhD for like two whole years. Yeah. Like two years disappeared. I think I took oral exams. I like might have done a methods exam. Like I cannot account for years three to five.
0: If your professors are listening, you are a dedicated studious person.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, so I think the flexibility post coursework of PhD definitely um, played well in my favor yeah. for mm-hmm. being able to like scale up sure. the blog, and that's also I think when my like, audience grew also on social. Mm-hmm. Um, then the last two years, so year six and seven. Where are we now? Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> <In the laughs> last two years, um, as I as I neared the end, I started thinking more about like next steps. Like, do sure. I want to go into academia or consulting or something else?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think that's when I decided to. Or I realized that influencing was a, a viable career choice. Right, and I yeah. said I told myself like if I can get to an income that's comparable to a postdoc, right. then instead of doing a postdoc like you know I'll, everyone just, do else, this. I'll just do this. Yeah. So,
0: so you like, almost you almost had under the cover of finishing your PhD the opportunity to build your influencing business to a point where you could leave your PhD and say, well, I've already got this built-in income. Yes,
1: definitely, definitely. And so in my mind, it was always like, you know, I'm still going to have the degree. It's not going to go anywhere. And let Mm -hmm. me just, since this thing seems to be really hot right now, (laughs) let me continue doing it for now. Um, And, you know, if, if anything happens, I can always go back to the hopefully I can yes. always go back into the confines of the right. Ivory Tower. Nobody's um, <laughs> nobody's gonna
0: take that PhD away from you. <laughs> no one's
1: gonna take it away, although yeah. there's a lot of drama in academia. Oh, yeah, so I don't I know if imagine. they'll let me back in after <laughs> being a whole public figure. But yeah. but we'll see. But yeah, the challenge was then, especially because I no longer had funding. It was mm-hmm. like out of necessity that I needed to earn. Sure, yeah, yeah. um, But also it was a test. Can I make as much as I would if I did a postdoc afterwards? Did Um, you ever
0: find that the two complemented each other, the academia plus the influencing? Did you find that when you were getting tired and and worn out of the academia portion, that the influencing allowed you to have an escape and vice versa?
1: I was worn out the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. I mean, I think I definitely started blogging as yeah. an escape. Because yeah. I was I started blogging when I was in school. Right. Um, when yeah. I was in college. So it was kind mm-hmm. of always an escape. It was always sure. kind of like a fun thing to do on the side to distract and procrastinate, if I'm going to be honest, yeah. from my schoolwork.
2: For sure.
1: Um, I've started to think or tried to think more critically about how the PhD has served me, so I think I've spent yeah. a lot of time being like thinking about how blogging has exposed me to a larger community and audience, yeah. and also like let me flex my still growing creative muscles. Yeah. <laughs> but as I think more about like what the benefit of the PhD has been, yeah. um, as I get further and further into the influencer marketing world, I think can think of more crit- critically about the skills that I've learned in my PhD. The okay. writing, like my writing, I've been told is just a lot better than oh, a lot of people's writing. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And, I mean, that plays into when I write blog posts, but also I am just writing a proposal, like a creative brief to a brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that definitely helps the oral presentation. And that matters too, helps. because you, yeah. wouldn't,
0: you wouldn't believe how bad some of the writing is out there. Yeah, well, I'm it's... sure you, you would believe, <laughs> and you've seen it.
1: Yes, yeah. um, but it, it definitely has helped in those ways, the writing and the oral presentation, um, but also a belief of kind of like just a belief in higher education. Mm -hmm. Um, So something that I'm really passionate about on my platforms is educating people around whatever. So if it's Mm -hmm. about hair care, like, here's what you need to know about, I just believe in everyone. If you have knowledge, you can make informed choices and decisions. Yeah. So rather than just like showing or talking about products from like a this is cute perspective, I'm always trying to teach and educate um, and inform people, whether Mm -hmm. it's about the safety or the hazards of something or just so people can make more informed choices. And I think that that helps um, my perspective and my storytelling when yep. I am working with a brand, working with a company, mm-hmm. it's not just like buy this because I said so. It's yep. like buy this because I've actually like researched, researched and thought about it. And here are the different re- reasons why. Also a skill why. you picked up yes.
0: from your PhD yes, program, that right? I definitely
1: learned from. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. it definitely has helped
0: yeah a hundred percent and and it's i i want to dig in a little bit on to on that topic of kind of making informed decisions mm-hmm. and how it relates to representation and something that you talk a lot about on your channel is black Girl magic mm-hmm. right so this educational component is not just about specific products but it's mm-hmm. also about letting people know you can do these amazing things. So tell us a little bit about Black Girl Magic.
1: Yeah, so um, I think Black Girl Magic to me just means like being your best fly self. (laughs) So there are a lot of, I think there are a lot of like negative and really uh, dismal portrayals Mm -hmm. of black women and statistics about black women Mm -hmm. um, out in the media. And so anything that I can do to encourage, uplift, or inspire someone, yeah. whether it is someone who wants to get a PhD or wants to go to graduate school or wants to go to college and has just never seen anyone who looked like them do that Mm -hmm. um, or doesn't believe that they can go to an Ivy League school right?
2: um,
1: or if they want to start blogging and don't think that there's enough space for them in the blogging world because they might think that they're just going to be another black girl. Like, I am really committed to showing other black women and other women or other people if they so care. But right. I think my heart is definitely for black for sure. women. Mm-hmm. Um, showing them that they can really do anything that they set their minds to. Yep. Um. Mm-hmm. And I don't put... I try to make it clear that I... Yes, we'll have a PhD very soon. Um, but it's not unattainable. Like, right. I'm an immigrant. Mm-hmm. My parents worked really hard to provide us with educational right. opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, but even still, like, there are people who didn't have parents who really were yeah. looking out for them. And they've still done it, too. Mm-hmm. So as long as especially in the age that we live in where, like, everything's on the internet. Like, yeah. as long as you can seek out that information, mm-hmm. um, you can really, really do anything. And I think yeah. I've also proven that to myself as I've grown as an yeah, influencer because sure. I really just, like, taught myself yeah. <laughs> how to be an influencer. And
0: I'm sure you've had moments of doubt and times of oh, doubt. Oh, of
1: course. Yeah. yeah. Imposter syndrome is uh-huh. so real. real thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I think I dealt with it mostly in in my PhD program. and to a lesser extent as an influencer but sure. man those first 2 years in phd i also i came straight from undergrad i was 21 mm, wow. in classes with people who were 28 had masters degrees right, yeah. had kids i would be trying to hang out on the weekend they're like i'm going home to my family <laughs> like oh okay well never mind <laughs> so that was really tough um, yeah. to navigate but you know just really going through it i've honestly shocked myself. I didn't think that I would be able to do this. Like for real, for real. Like I did not think that I'd be able to do this. Um, And the support system that I had, the encouragement Mm -hmm. that I had um, has been able to get me through it. And so the very least that I could do is pay that forward and encourage someone else.
0: For sure. Did you have any role models on the PhD side when going through it and saying, hey, if they did it, I could do it or she did it, therefore I think I can do it because, you know, I uh, identify very similarly to how she does or he does. Yeah,
1: Um, I mean there are a couple of PhD holders, like Black female PhD holders that mm-hmm. I look up to. My undergraduate advisor yeah. was Evelyn Hammonds, who okay. is a prolific nice. historian of science yeah. at Harvard and happened to be the dean like while I was there. She was like mm-hmm. a big shot. And I was like, oh my gosh, she was gonna <laughs> advise me. Like I felt really, really cool. Yeah. Um, so she was always an inspiration for some just an example of someone who got her PhD and yeah. was now teaching. Yeah. Um, I think what became more difficult as I got further in the program was finding role models of people who were academics, but also had some other life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's something that I had kind of decided by halfway through that I wasn't just going to be an academic. Yeah. I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. know what it would look like, but I just knew that I could not do this. Yeah. Like my whole job could not be me yeah. in, the, in the tower. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was a bit harder to find. Um, and for that, I kind of looked to other influencers who also had higher degrees, whether Mm -hmm. they were a PhD or a JD or something. Um, There are a couple of black women who I have been following over the years who just have degrees and I don't even know them, but I'm like, oh, she has a degree and she blogs. I can also do it. And so they've kind of been my motivation um, for pursuing both. Mm -hmm. Um, But in academia specifically.
0: No, I think that's actually perfect. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And something we talked about, Chris and Brock from Younger Time were on this past week. And something that Chris talked about in his coming out video is that he didn't have anybody mm. to look to and yeah. say, this is how I should handle it. Or this is somebody I could be. He didn't really have a good view of that. And now he can share that perspective. Right. And he and Brock can share, hey, we're in this wonderful relationship. This is how we live you can have this too right. and i think in in the very similar way you're showing a lot of young black women and it doesn't even have to be young black women young women young mm-hmm. young men anybody right. but you know you happen to focus on young black women like you can do this and exactly. you can be this and that's incredibly important because like you said if you have knowledge you can make informed decisions mm-hmm. right but if you grew up thinking oh i can never be a phd because i'm young i'm black and i'm a woman yeah. like that's not the case. And now right. you're showing everybody that, hey, you can do this as well. You
1: really can. Like yeah. for real, if I can do it, you really, really can. <laughs> like seriously, seriously.
0: I cannot emphasize heard, that enough.
1: I really was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I somehow did it. So. I highly doubt that.
0: I highly doubt that. But that's, do you feel a sense of responsibility in effect to, now that you have this platform mm-hmm. to share that and, and have that be a core message? Or is this something that, you don't feel a responsibility to do, you just say, I want to do this.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I feel a sense of responsibility. Um, It's just really part of who I am. Like I can't uh, deny or ignore my black or female identity. Sure. Like even, I can't pretend that I'm not black or a woman. So like it precedes me. Of course, but you
0: could choose different dimensions across which to kind of vocalize, right? You could say, uh, I'm going to talk on behalf of immigrants, for instance, right? right? That's a good point, yeah. so, So there are a lot of different, things to choose from, but, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm just curious to the extent to which you feel it's a responsibility because some people do and say, Hey, I have this platform. I need to do this. Yeah. Other people say I have this platform and my responsibility is to educate people on beauty products. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm not going to talk about politics, identity, politics, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. So I'm curious where you fall in that spectrum.
1: I don't necessarily feel a burden of responsibility, Mm -hmm. but I have an innate passion for speaking to young women of color, um, both here and also, you know, my husband and I were both from Africa and that's, I think, like long, long term. My goal would be to encourage young African girls to pursue higher education. That's really cool. Yeah. so I don't know if I don't think I would. It's
0: good. It's not a burden. I don't know. Right? It's not a burden. It's a passion. It's
1: definitely a passion and like a driving motivation for my yeah, life. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that'll bear more fruit long term because this is something you're excited to exactly. do. Exactly. That's yeah. really great. What What advice would you have to young folks, young black women, young black men, young men or women, regardless, mm-hmm. who are interested in higher education, getting a PhD? And also interested in maybe something other than that. Right. How to approach? How would you approach that if you had to do it all over again?
1: Oh gosh, would I do it?
0: All over? <laughs> <laughs> First question is, would you? First question
1: is, think it through. It's a long time. <laughs> Seven years is a long time to yeah. be in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think my advice would be to make the program yours and make the degree yeah. experience okay. yours. There are. I think increasingly more ways to do a PhD um, because a lot of things are now online. There's Skype, but you don't need to necessarily be in the same city as your program so you can like move away if the city's yeah. not serving you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do your research in a variety of places. Yeah. So I would say don't get constricted or don't feel limited by especially your advisor's uh, idea mm-hmm. of what a PhD journey should look like. Because
0: inevitably your advisor's going to be 20, 25, is, 30 years older gonna than be you. Ancient. And ancient. <laughs> and stuck in kind of this is how I did it. Right, and there definitely
1: is, and I think this is a problem that academia needs to like really contend with, but there's a problem of like rigidity and like this is how it used to be done and we used to write 10 Mm -hmm. million page books and so you should all write, no one's reading that anymore, guys. So like we have to evolve. (laughs) Not only
0: that, but a lot of very smart people are not going to college or not because, and so I think universities and, you know, should be, thinking about how can we evolve to recapture some of the magic that we used to have.
1: Exactly, yeah. So my one piece of advice would be if you want to get a PhD, if you want to pursue higher education, but also have a life outside of academia, just know that it's possible.
2: Yeah, And you don't have to
1: lose yourself, and you don't Mm -hmm. have to lose your mind, (laughs) and you don't have to read books all day long.
0: (laughs) And what about if you have a partner— Mm-hmm. who is not into right. social media and you want to be an influencer. What yeah. advice would you have for an aspiring influencer?
1: Yeah, you guys just got to sit down and talk about it. I mean, I think yeah. communication is like the key yeah. to all partnerships um, yeah. and just realize that you're not going to be a couple's influencer. And yeah. you just need to <laughs> make peace with Much
2: that. Much to your and- dismay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And move, and I mean, I, we do this thing where if it's to the point, like we'll work together, but if it's to yeah. the point where it's causing an argument, like I'm not arguing with you over a picture. Like yeah, it's not, right. it's yeah. literally not that serious. Not so yeah. I think just, um, try and try to keep your relationship first, yeah. um, before Instagram, and <laughs> yeah. social media. Don't allow yeah. business
0: to get away. In exactly. The way but of I mean, really, if yeah. people
1: are, if you have a clear, also don't try to change anybody. Cause no. Yeah. You don't want to make them unhappy,
2: right? (laughs)
1: Exactly. Um, So if you understand where they're coming from and and their perspective, then Mm -hmm. just respect that. And when they want to be involved, they'll be involved. involved. But you can also make a whole thing. Like we have a whole thing based off of like the fact that Jonathan is never on social media. (laughs) And whenever he is, it's like people get excited. So you can also do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so make it fit the life that you both collectively want to live.
1: Exactly. And appreciate the fact that they will remind you to put down your phone sometimes. Important.
0: Huge benefit. Yeah. I, I think that's a benefit that people don't often talk about. Mm-hmm. They say, well, I want pictures taken and I want it to be them to be more flexible. But at the end of the day, like they're bringing some sanity into yes, a world that can feel needed. like a hamster wheel 24 yeah. seven. Yeah. So I feel that acutely sometimes.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Because
0: sometimes, you know, I obviously work with my wife on two different businesses and you, sometimes you can just feel like you're working all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to have somebody to inject a, hey, listen, it's the weekend. We're right. actually going to have a weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's really, really great. Well, Ijama, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank it's you been so much for having me. You. I yeah. appreciate it so much. An awesome conversation with Ajama. If you haven't already, make sure you connect with her online or on Instagram. Her handle and her website are the exact same. It's ajamacola.com on the web. It's cola on Instagram. That's I-J-E-O-M-A-K-O-L-A. Make sure you check her out. Uh, Really quickly, I just want to recap a few of the things that we talked about in our conversation. First of all, one, if you feel like you're hitting your limits with creativity of your current platform, your current focus, don't be afraid to look outside of your existing realm, whether it's new topics, new platforms that will allow you to expand your creativity. As Ajama talked about, she started with focus on hair, but now has moved into a broader lifestyle category. Number two, make sure at regular intervals, you're taking a step back and considering the business opportunity. As she mentioned, she was doing a collaboration where she was twisting her hair for the 12th time and it was going to be a long one. And she realized that the dollars that she was getting in return for these collaborations were not commensurate with the effort that she was putting in. So make sure you're constantly doing that equation in your head. Number three, knowledge is power. Something that Ajama is really focused on is bringing knowledge or awareness to her audience. She really does in-depth reviews of all the products that she recommends. But she also focuses on things like Black Girl Magic to show young black women what they can achieve. It's really important and something that you should always be thinking about vis-a-vis your audience. And finally, make sure your communication with your spouse or partner is really top notch when it comes to things like taking photos or working together, because not everybody is always on the same page. And you don't want this to become something that creates a tremendous amount of stress between you and your partner. Make sure you head over to TroveBusiness.com for all of this and more. We have everything you need to run your influencer business more efficiently. Big shout out to Pete Krimi for always making us sound better over the podcast than we do in person. And once again, if you like what you heard today on the podcast, make sure you leave us that five-star rating and leave us a glowing review. We always appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Gutilari, and we'll see you next
2: time.